Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Ad News Podcast. The podcast that celebrates the industry's penchant for a sociable drop and a chat. Welcome to the Ad News Podcast, produced for us by Nova. This is a special edition of our podcast from our Ad News Live Reframing Australia event. I'd like to now um, invite our uh, moderator for our next panel onto the stage, Arvin Hickman, he's a journalist with Ad News. Um, he's moderating the panel, A Reimagined Straya. Um, if he could uh, take to the stage, and he will be joined by... Adrian Swift, Head of Content uh, Production and Development at Channel 9. John Turnbull, Strategy Manager at SBS. Tara Ford, who's the ECD at DDB. And Di Lee, who's the founder of Dawn. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rosie. Um, Good morning, and thank you all for joining us today for our panel discussion, Reimagined Australia. Uh, My name's Arvind, and I'm a senior reporter at Ad News. Um, uh, Before I begin, I'd I'd also just like to pay my respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Um, They are the original custodians of the land that we stand on today. And I think any discussion that tries to reimagine Australia should really acknowledge the very fact that our first people are the only ones with true heritage in this country. All of us, somewhere along the lines, are immigrants. So that's a starting point. Um, My own personal background, I'm half Malaysian Indian, half British and 100% Australian. Um, Aside from working in Australia, I've also spent quite a lot of time working as a journalist and as an editor in London um, not so long ago. And what really caught my eye um, when I came back from London is just how little diversity there was on Australian television, Um, particularly on the commercial TV stations and particularly in things like news. There was no um, ethnic diversity at all in in some of the um, stations that I saw. And actually, in London, it's quite different. Um, There's quite a lot of cultural diversity, even though Australia is a much more culturally diverse country. Um, This year, we've seen quite a lot of examples where TV shows and particular advertising have had pretty much all white casts. Um, I'm sure some of you will remember that wonderful ad that Bill Shorten and the Labor Party ran in Northern Queensland, where the only diversity was the fact that one lady had dark hair. Um, Another show this year that really caught my attention um, and also a very sharply pointed um, column piece was The Bachelor. Um, Now, The Bachelor had 22 contestants, um, 22 Caucasian, um, white, lovely, beautiful ladies, but the only difference between any of them um, was the colour of their hair. 
it was blonde or brown. Um, I, at the time I spoke to um, Isabel Lowe and I spoke to Mark Fennell, um, who are both um, from Media Diversity Australia, about this, and Mark said something that I thought was quite interesting and pertinent. He said to me, if you have a show that makes you feel like you don't um, belong, um, and you watch advertising around that show, how on earth is that going to encourage you to buy a product? Yesterday, I was at SBS Upfronts, um, and SBS has done some great research with Ubiquity about just how culturally diverse advertising is in this country this year. They studied more than 4,000 ads um, and more than 2 million impressions. 75% of those impressions are pretty much all white casts. Only 3% of those impressions out of more than 2 million have non-white um, casts. It just got me thinking, how much does this affect marketing? And how much does it affect TV programming? How much does it affect ratings? Well, to discuss this and a lot more, I'm joined by a wonderful panel of experts. Uh, and the great thing about this panel is that we have people from creative, we have people from TV, people who have media agency backgrounds, and we have someone who helps companies become more culturally diverse. So I'd just like to introduce the panel. Um, to my left is Dai Lee. She's the founder of Dawn. Um, Dawn helps companies create more diverse workplace cultures. And it's important when we talk about diversity that we also, it's not just cultural, it's not just gender. It also includes sexual diversity. It includes um, language, religion, and includes even things like age. Um, next to Dawn, we have Adrian Swift. Adrian Swift is the head of content production and development at Nine. He's a very, very well respected and esteemed content guy in the industry. Next to Adrian, we have Tara Ford. Tara is the executive creative director of DDB. And next to Tara, we have John Turnbull. Don John Turnbull is a senior um, strategist. Is that right, John? That's right. Yep. Senior strategist at SBS. But John also has many years of experience at media agencies, so he can sort of look at things from that lens as well. Just to begin with, just a bit of a scene setter, um, I'd just like to ask our panellists, A, do they believe there is a lack of diversity? And, and B, why? Um, I'll start off with you, Dailee, because you came to Australia as a refugee from Vietnam. You've worked in the media. You've been able to observe this over a number of years. What, what is your view on where we're at at the moment? Um, thank you very much um, for the introduction and thanks for having me here today. Uh, yes, I came here as a refugee from Vietnam um, after the war in probably 79, couldn't speak a word of English. Um, became a journalist, um, worked at the ABC, our wonderful, um, you know, iconic um, institution. Um, I think a lot of journalists have this aspiration, or young people who want to be reporters, journalists, have this aspiration to work for such organisation and I was one of them. And uh, I got into the ABC uh, in the 90s. I was probably the only um, ethnic face. Back, back in those days, we were labelled as ethnic. Um, today, I think we are labelled as cold, culturally and linguistically diverse um, people. And uh, we have different names constantly over the years. And I, um, I looked at that industry, uh, the media industry, and... I saw the lack of diversity back then in the sense that English was my second language. I still do have uh, an accent. And to progress within that organisation, uh, which was predominantly white Anglo-Saxon um, men, was a challenge. But I, of course, rose to that challenge and you know, kept on working very hard 
to be able to, um, later on, you know, produced and directed a few television documentaries that got broadcasted on ABC and SBS. Um, and also became a reporter and a broadcaster um, eventually on ABC Radio National. So can you imagine having this voice on ABC Radio National was quite an achievement for me, I thought. Um, and um, so I spent a two, almost two decades within the media industry, but mainly at the ABC, uh, and observed our commercial um, media, Channel 9, Channel 7, Channel 10, having no diversity there in terms of representation. So I think, you know, till, till this day, I think if you talk about diversity uh, media representation, where you'll find them would probably be on SBS. And I refuse to go to SBS for the fact that I don't want to be pigeonholed into an ethnic broadcasting corporation. I wanted to actually be part of wider mainstream Australia because I consider myself very much an Australian, even though I wasn't born here. I've got no dual citizenship, by the way. I am an Australian <laughs> citizen. Uh, uh, we had a very safe. <laughs> yes. Um, we had this discussion last night, um, but I am an Australian citizen. So I think there's a lot of work, lot, lots uh, of, of um, work ahead for us, and I currently work with a lot of corporations, um, Westpac, the big four banks, before accounting firms, talking to the likes of Microsoft and IBM, uh, who are global companies who are actually doing diversity and inclusion at, at a global level very well. Uh, but in Australia, it's still very much um, behind, um, you know, um, the eighth ball. So my aim is to actually um, help shift that conversation around diversity and inclusive representation at the leadership level. At a, at a workforce level, we are very culturally diverse. And my, um, actually, I'm also on the board of Motor Culture in South Wales. So I had my CEO talking. I'm thinking, oh, he's got all the stats, so it's great. I don't have to present the stats. Uh, and uh, Hakan, great to see you. So I, um, so I, yeah, so basically, this, that leadership level, it's still very much lacking. And I think Hakan has presented that, that leadership, um, that, that percentage for you, the stats. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of work to do. Okay. Adrian, you've also worked at SBS. You currently work at Channel 9. Um, where, where do you think we're at in terms of diversity in the media? Oh, I think it's, it's where well and truly diversity is underrepresented. And look, I think that's a function of the fact that, that um, perception often lags reality. Um, I don't think it's a conspiracy on behalf of broadcasters to, to not reflect diversity in programming and in their staff. I actually think it's inherent conservatism. It's the fact that, that um, I don't think any... I grew up in an ethnic household, to use the, the old-fashioned term, um, and I don't think anyone... And, and my background was Hungarian. I don't think any Hungarian mother ever said to her son, darling, I want you to work in the media. <laughs> Lawyer, doctor, at a pinch, an accountant, but no-one ever said, I want you to work in the media. And I think the reality is, if you look at the media in Australia at the moment, uh, it's, it's predominantly white, it's predominantly male, it's predominantly old, but that isn't because we aren't trying to address it. It's because actually that's the, it's the self-selecting group that's ended up running the media. If you look at, I don't know how this mic's going because I'm kind of wrestling with it, so let me know if I fall off mic. Um, we are wrestling with it. We, we do acknowledge that it's an issue. Um, I do believe we default to stereotype. We try not to, but I do believe we default to stereotype. And actually I'd say that about SBS and the ABC and Channel 9. I've worked at all three. 
Having said that, I do think there's a genuine desire to reflect our audience because the reality is we only care about our audience. You know, my, my fundamental function in life is to make people watch my shows. And if I'm not representing the audience who are watching my shows and then by association selling them a Hyundai at some point, I'm not doing my job. So look, <laughs> I'm genuinely there to represent the audience. Do we do that in Australia right now? No, I don't think we do. Why is it different in England to your point, Arvind? Because it's dominated by a massive state broadcaster that has a mandate to do that. So mm -hmm. effectively they pull along everyone with them, whereas we're dominated by commercial broadcasters. But look, it's something that is a problem at the moment. It, diversity is un underrepresented on Australian television, but I think it's something, admittedly slowly, television broadly, and I think I speak for all broadcasters, are trying to address. The only thing I would just say as a coder to that is, I want us to address it, and I want all the broadcasters, be they public service or commercial, to address it, but I'd also like Facebook and Google to address it as well, because that's the ecosystem within which we're competing. Okay. Uh, Tara, um, interesting statistic before. 78% of people live in um, greater Western Sydney, but only 3% of Adelaide lives there. What's going on? Um, yeah, that's a frightening stat, isn't it? Um, well, I think people tend to hire what they know and what they you know, are themselves, so that's happened a lot. But I do think that, and it is terrible right now, but I do think there's a lot of focus on it too. Um, so I think it will be getting better, you know, and, and there's definitely a focus on it. Um, you know, I think even in, uh, you know, brands are also asking for, you know, casting to be more diverse and, you know, so it is being, it is being driven, um, you know, with that intent, definitely. Um, you know, I, about five years ago I tried to cast um, a, a Sudanese person in an ad and I was literally laughed at, you know, and, oh, God, why would we do that, you know? It's like, well, why wouldn't we do that, you know? Mm. Um, and then I was successful about a year and a half ago. So, you know, it, it is changing. I think you just have to keep at it. Okay. We'll come back to the content side of things and, and, and that a bit later on. John, SBS is obviously seen as the champion for cultural diversity. What, what is your view on diversity in the media and in advertising? Um, it's been an issue for a long time, Arvind. I, I started in media agencies about 23 years ago, and back then, as now, I was pretty much surrounded by white faces. Um, moving over to SBS five years ago, I found a lot more diversity on the ground. If, if we do have a hiring policy, Swifty, it's, you know, diversity is as at the heart. You know, as a white cisgendered male, I am in the minority there, and that's great. But, you know, looking out at agency land, there is the problem of cultural diversity. I mean, we do have a fair smattering of people from England and New Zealand, and, you know, the agencies are starting to look a little more diverse than they were 15, 20 years ago, but fundamentally the move towards that diversity is a struggle, and there seems to be a fundamental barrier um, to senior management um, in terms of both diversity, gender diversity, and you look at the age issue as well. I mean, it's great to have a few mature people on this panel, but you go into media agencies and the average age is about 23 you don't really have over 40s, and certainly over 50s represented in advertising, and that creates a big problem when, you know, you're trying to, to push to, to new audiences and talk to all Australians, as I think a lot of us really try and do, is if you're cutting yourself off at 25, 54, it's a really limited view. Yeah, the age issue is something that I've always found really fascinating, because um, my dad, um, he, he's a baby boomer, he's probably coming towards the latter stages of a midlife crisis. He recently bought a yacht. Um, 
He has loads of money. <laughs> I, I don't even own a push bike, so why the hell are you guys targeting me? It just makes no sense. There were some interesting stats yesterday at the SBS Upfronts actually about just how much economic wealth is controlled by um, older older Australians versus youngers. Do you, can you sort of share some of those findings? If, if you look at something as simple as automotive purchase, um, so many car manufacturers are trying to get the 25-54 demographic, but more than half of new cars are bought by people over 55 because they have the disposable income. If you look at the amount of responsibilities that people have as they age, you know, you, you're starting to pay off your mortgage, your kids have moved out, so you have this huge disposable income. And if you look at the age we're living now, the idea of retiring at 65 has totally disappeared, you know, both from a, you know, keeping the brain healthy um, standpoint and, you know, from a financial standpoint. You can't stay on your, your meagre savings and on the pension for another 30, 40 years. So it, it is a fundamental change, and if you look at older Australians as brand loyal and, and stuck in their ways as, you know, they'll always purchase your product, you are fundamentally mistaken. What we're seeing now with older Australians is they are almost getting a second wave of adolescence when they get this freedom from responsibility and they're going out. They're buying yachts, they're getting tattoos, they're buying Harleys. So it's a real shift in the way we need to look at older Australia. That's an interesting point. I just want to touch a little bit more on the, the ageism issue that we have in marketing, so I think it is quite prevalent. Uh, Tara, what do clients say to you when it comes to profiling of their target audience? Well, quite often, it is interesting you talk about um, cars, for example, because quite often you will have the same model of car that will be, you know, your two markets will be a very young market and an older market. But uh, we will be asked to do the advertising for the younger market because that's aspirational to the older market and that's how they'd like to see themselves. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, always in advertising you want to do something that is fresh and new and that will stand out. What a brilliant way to stand out, to talk to those older people in a way that is, you know, they're, they're not just, uh, you know... Uh, <laughs> an accessory or they're not just, you know, in the background, they're actually the stars of the ad and they're, you know, they've got their own personality and it's, it's real to what's happening. Do you, do you see this as well in, in TV programming, Adrian, where there's a, a real preference towards trying to cast a certain age demographic? We're sort of stuck in the middle. You know, the, the nature of TV audiences are that they're getting older and the nature of TV advertising agencies is they want 11-year-olds. <laughs> and, and in the middle lies the truth, you know, we're often stuck. So, look, it, 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 was, it was really interesting at the ABC to watch how older audiences, which tend to be the core of the ABC audiences, will stick with the network absolutely unequivocally, um, unless you put a program on that says, please go away now, at which point you'll lose everyone and you have no audience. Uh, and at Channel 9, look, we cheerfully acknowledge that TV audiences are older, and the bulk of our audience that travels across the schedule across a year are an older network, are an older audience, and they're an older audience with a significant disposable income. In my experience, and remember, I don't work in sales, I'm just a content guy, um, the advertising agencies don't care. And I, I say that warmly, but it's a constant battle that we have with advertising agencies. The reality, though, is that, that when we have a show like Ninja Warrior or The Block, which weirdly attracts kids in droves, they're the shows that literally they're beating our doors down about, uh, and that often surprises me because then we have constant... They're full of ads for Hyundai's, which none of the said 11-year-olds are going to buy. So, look, there is, a, there is something of a discontinuity in this space between the people who are consuming the medium and the, and the ads on the platform. 
Okay. Well, what about in terms of what goes on, the influences behind casting for TV shows and advertising? Maybe, maybe I'll just ask you um, to begin with. Then. What are the influences that, that determine a cast? Something like The Bachelor, what would go into that process for that outcome to be 22 pretty much identical people? <laughs> Look, it's difficult for me to, to, to speak on behalf of, of Channel 10. I, 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 I understand, don't want to, but just in general... I, I don't want to assume anything in terms of their casting process, but they have a very talented casting team, both at Warner Brothers, who make the show, and at 10. But here's the reality in commercial television. Particularly for Channel 9, we have shareholders. Our responsibility is just to get the best cast. So I'm, I keep getting congratulated because we've got a Lebanese family on a show we've got on at the moment. And people keep going, wow, what a brilliant bit of casting. We didn't cast the Sharuk family because they were Lebanese. We cast them because they were the best bit of casting we'd seen in years. They could have been on the block. They could have been anywhere. They were so good. And, and I think our responsibility, Ten's responsibility, Seven's responsibility, but not SBS or ABC's, is to put the best possible cast on screen. And the, the one mitigating factor I'd say in all of our defence is, certainly at nine, where I can speak, We've never ever had a moment where we've said we wouldn't have someone of a particular ethnicity on. You know, we don't compensate, but by the same token, we would never discriminate. Okay. I wonder um, whether, in terms of just listening to you, Adrian, is that um, I think that in recent years there is this um, commercial stations, there's this recognition that we need to address diversity on screen. And I think, yes, you don't kind of. Um, uh, cast uh, a person because <coughs> they are a Lebanese or Muslim or whatever, but you are, and but having that mindset to say we need to be cognizant of the fact that we've got a diverse audience, so therefore we do cast for the best um, group of people, but also make being mindful that we need to have some kind of um, characters that will appeal to to a probably increasing audience that are watching uh, our television screen that are of diverse background. I mean, I got approached by a casting um, agency to say, look, Di, with what you're talking about in terms of diversity and inclusion, I want to really <coughs> put forward to, um, I think she was working for some commercial channels, I can't remember which one, um, some potential um, uh, talent that are of culturally diverse background because I don't want to constantly go and present them with just white faces. So could you give me names of families that you think will be good for it? Um, so it's so I think there is that um, uh, awareness and that that's that kind of proactive, um, 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 you know, within the uh, casting agency and perhaps the um, you know the advertising agency as well. And I think the our social media landscape is changing a lot, so an audience can now go to um, you know all of those social media platforms as a channel to sell their products. So. I think it's the traditional media have to compete with that. And um, so I think you, you're working in that space, so you have to make sure that it's quite diverse and inclusive. That's just my okay. perspective. Tara, so, so what about in terms of advertising and in terms of how you cast for advertising? What are some of the considerations or influences that help shape casting? Um, well, I think it depends on the story you're telling first up. You know, you've got to have characters that feel true to that story and authentic and right. Um, but there is always, um, now, there's always uh, a request for, um, you know, bring me uh, diversity in the casting. So, you know, in a, in a similar way, we do the casting tapes, who's, who's best, you know, but we are very conscious um, of making sure that, you know, 
there's definitely, um, you know, people in there who, who are from diverse backgrounds. You know, it's, um, it, it's wanted now. It definitely is. It, it, I mean, if the SBS study still found that 75% of um, ads are lack any sort of diversity culturally. There's, there's so what, happens, what happens after that? There's, there's an interesting thing within that, in that in the last four years, more diverse ads have been made, actually about a shift of about 4%, but they've been played at a lot lower frequencies, so the actual functional change is 1%. So it suggests that you know, we are having an effect, and you are having an effect in creative agencies and at the casting level, but once we get to the coalface, where the 19-year-old you know, buyers are putting it on TV, they're being put on at lower rates for whatever reason, and I mean, that, that's a really hard thing to drill into because the TV buying process is complex and that sort of thing, but, you know, there does seem to be that disconnect that there is a, a need from clients um, to, to cast and have diverse people in their ads, but I'm wondering if it ever hits that too hard basket because I think we're seeing a little bit of that from the, from the media buying side. It's just maybe too hard to get your ads translated into five languages, so we'll just stick with what we know. Do you ever get much pushback from clients in terms of casting? Do they ever come back to you and say it's not diverse enough, or do they say, actually, we prefer it to be less diverse? Sometimes, yes, definitely. Um, it, you know, it also depends what, you know, what the ad is, is all about. Um, but, yeah, definitely there's, there's um, you know, a request for it. Mm -hmm. What about at SBS, John, in terms of how they come up with program casting? Obviously, SBS is a multicultural broadcaster, so it's probably got it somewhere enshrined within its... It is. We, we have a charter mm -hmm. that says both we uh, provide media for all Australians <coughs> and that we make sure that um, the Australians who speak a language other than English have representation. I mean, at the very basic level, we've got you know, radio in 72 languages, all of which are available as podcasts. But when you go up into the, the big dollar area, or I guess the big dollars for SBS, uh, is the TV production uh, area. And there is a commissioning department that looks specifically at stories that embrace multicultural issues. I mean, we're certainly not looking at those. A lot of the time, I think, to, to your point, um, you know, the story comes first. But as a, a network with that charter, we can look at things that look at um, things like the plight of the boat people. We've got a drama coming up called Safe Harbour this year that looks just fantastic. Um, and that look, takes a really interesting look at both sides of that debate of, you know, the, the, the fear that, you know, native-born Australians fear of the other and that sort of thing and the refugee experience. So I think in, in a way it's easy for us, uh, easier for us to do, but it's by the same token, you know, compared to all of the other networks and the ABC, we have minuscule budgets. So, you know, th all the money we make in advertising, fortunately, goes back into making programming because mm. we don't have those shareholders to keep happy. From my perspective, I think a program like Safe Harbour should be on the likes of commercial channels because I think, you know, you're, you're preaching to the converted um, uh, kind of broadcasting within the SBS just channel. Uh, so I think the lack of, of diversity of faces and voices across where I see as the mainstream Australia is still very, uh, is, you know, we still have a lot of work to do there. Sometimes, I mean, I don't watch that much TV nowadays. Uh, I, I think like most of you, we kind of rely on our um, hands, uh, you know, mobile phone and we do a lot of checking on news uh, across all our, our various media platform. So I find that television is not, to me anyway, as relevant. Um, my little 14-year-old watches most of the times either soccer or um, uh, cooking shows and he actually uh, watches for diverse faces because obviously that's what we talk about at, at home. Um, and he would say that the, the latest Channel 9 cooking show, he goes, oh, mum, do you realise that they've got more diverse faces on this cooking show 
you know, and it's, we seem to see mainly diverse faces on cooking shows, but what about other shows? I said, yeah, I know. Like, you know, sometimes you see Home and Away commercial, you think, um, uh, the, the, the trail, and you think, oh my God, it's still very white. However, going back to what Adrian said, um, people like myself um, and many migrants and children of migrants or, or refugees ha were not encouraged to go into the media, were not encouraged to go into politics. All of the other, um, what I see are the pillars of our society, they either become doctors, uh, lawyers, um, accountants, um, pharmacists, those professions. So I think it's both, I see it as both, both ways. So what I'm doing through Dawn is actually trying to, to um, mobilise the, the groundwork here to say, the, the young generation to say, be, be, more, pro, you know, be more proactive, uh, be, be, be part of the wider Australian society and contribute in, in various ways, not just becoming a doctor or a lawyer or, or etc. So okay. there's a lot of work still, yeah. Uh, Adrian, I just wanted to ask you, just very quickly pick up on that, that safe harbour point. Is there any reason why a show like... Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Safe Harbour wouldn't run on a commercial TV station. Is there a commercial reality about it? Uh, I can genuinely say I don't know. I've seen the trails for SBS Upfronts yesterday, which looked fabulous. The dramas look great, but I can't comment on Safe Harbour because I don't know. If, were I to watch it, I could give you a, a dissertation on whether it would work for us or not. Look, there's no, I, I'm not going to say yes, it would or it wouldn't, you know. The, the subject matter itself is not something we would specifically avoid. Um, you know, our only benchmark for drama is, is it a great Australian story? Does it somehow reflect us? And will the audience watch? There's no sense that I wouldn't, we wouldn't put that on. Mm. Okay. I'm sorry, I know but that's a waffly answer, but... Would it be sexy enough? I suppose, you know, this is my ABC hat. You know, some, you know at the ABC, you're not, you, you, you produce stories that are quite, you know, balanced, um, you know, factual and all that, and stories that have got depth. I, I, I don't mean to demean it, but I think sometimes over commercials, is, that, is it sexy enough? Is it going to grab audience attention? Is it, you know, like there's all of these kind of um, factors that they have to, to determine whether or not they're going to broadcast that story uh, on, on their channel. So uh, that's probably... Um, Every story is sexy though, Di. I mean, <laughs> you, can find, you can find something. Well, yes, you can find there's, a great yarn in anything. There's a certain form of sexiness. Um, but if you look at what we've put on, I mean, we've got Doctor Doctor is about a rural doctor with actually quite diverse faces in the cast, weirdly. Um, uh, uh, Love Child is about, about a time yeah, in Australian history where, where, where children were taken, forcibly yeah, taken from their mothers. That ostensibly is not a sexy yeah. story, but, but in the end it was a great story yeah, in its own yeah, way. Yeah, I, so yeah. we're, not, we're not, you know, Safe Harbour is not a story that we would rule out because it's not inherently sexy. 
But I'm just saying, I'm sure in recent times, like I said, I think diversity has been, a, you know, commercial channels are looking at, to address that and put in, putting stories there that are showing a kind of a, 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 a kind of a, a, a picture, a glimpse of what our society was like out there. So they are starting to, and I think the last few recent years they're doing that, such as um, that that um, story with um, Jessica. I haven't seen the film, but I saw the That's trailer. Secret Daughter on Channel 7, Secret but close. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, then. Okay, okay. But, but it's a great yeah, example. Yeah, watch television. <laughs> uh, I, just, I just want to move the discussion on a little bit in terms of whether this... So just to interrupt everyone for just a minute, I'm sure everyone is a little bit distracted. Oh, yeah. Um, just to let everybody know, the vote did go the right way. We did vote yes for same-sex marriage. So a round of applause for everyone. Sorry to interrupt the flow of your panel, but I thought it was worth, um, you know, marking that momentous occasion in Australian history. And, you know, what a great thing to announce on a day where we're celebrating diversity and multiculturalism and the real Australia that we have. So, carry on. Sorry, what, what, what was, was the percentage? <laughs> what was the percentage? Do you know? What was that? 61.6. Fantastic. Well, there you go. Just, just further illustrating the point that we are a very diverse, diverse society indeed. Exactly, yeah. I just wanted to touch a little bit on, on whether this really all matters and why. Um, I'll start off with you, John, and just sort of move to Tara. What, what is the imperative to make sure that we are more diverse in every single way in terms of how we um, present in the media and in advertising? I, I think it's a matter of reflecting the country as it is. If, if you see those three quarters of ads that just have white faces, it's very hard to put yourself in those shoes, you know, to, to aspire to having that RAV4 or whatever it is. And it's, it's about sort of moving from where we were because 20, 50 years ago, it was really easy to have white faces everywhere. White middle-aged males ruled. And unfortunately, we've still got a case where in a lot of parts of the industry that there is a holdover for that. And I think as long as we retain that very old school look at it, we're going to become increasingly out of touch. And when communication is our primary function, being out of touch is probably the worst thing we can be. Okay, Tara? I think it's incredibly important because, um, especially in advertising, because we can make things mainstream, you know. Um, and I've, I've got a good example of this. Just, just because of the yes vote, I will tell you an LGBTI story. So um, I, a, a couple of years ago, put um, uh, uh, gay dads in an ad and I heard um, back through people that um, just this story of someone who had said... That ad, um, you know, he'd been in a, 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 in a relationship, um, uh, a gay relationship for eight, eight years and he'd never been, um, you know, accepted by um, his partner's parents. But because of um, that being put in an ad, the parents were like, oh, maybe we're out of step, you know. So something that is that simple. And, you know, that would never occur to me that that could happen, you know. It just seems like... Um, you know, incredible that it could have that kind of impact. But, you know, that's, that's just one little story. But that's just an example of putting something in the mainstream. You know, if big brands um, are representing, um, you know, everyday Australia like that, then, you know, it, it, it can move things on a little. Just sort of changing the, the um, social aspect of it as yeah. well. Adrian? We're all in the media here. This is a conversation about the media. Therefore, what do we do? We talk to mass markets. Um, the reality for broadcast TV networks at the moment is, uh, probably five years ago, we could all run American drama at 8.30 and 
it would rate its tits off and it would, the world would be a better place and it wouldn't cost us very much. And Australian content sat from, call it, 5 o'clock to 8.30, then after that we could run, we could all run retreads of our American shows. The reality of broadcast television anyway is that's completely changed. Almost no one, with the exception of The Good Doctor on Channel 7 actually recently, but no one can make an American drama work in Australia. Therefore, it's incumbent upon us as broadcast networks trying to get a million people to sit down in one place at one time <coughs> to tell Australian stories. Therefore, those Australian stories have to reflect the audience. And it mm. really is. It's no more complicated than that. If we don't reflect the audience, the audience won't come. And, you know, we're, we're, we're very aware of that. And as I said earlier, I, we acknowledge that our casting is it lags the reality of the demographic changes in Australia. And I think we are addressing it. We're addressing it slowly. But <coughs> we will die if we do not reflect the audience in the stories we tell. That's quite a pertinent point when you consider TV audiences are in slight decline year on year. And if you're not actually representing the people who might be watching it, then you're sort of alienating almost quite a large chunk of your audience. Well, what about your perspective, Di? Because you, you speak to corporates all the time. So you probably have more of a understanding from what brands think is important and um, what are your views on whether this is this really matters? Um, look, I think we'll, we, Australia, we, we, I mean, where we are geographically in the region, um, you know, we are living in a, a kind of a globalised world and when there are cynics and critics who are, when I talk to them about inclusion and diversity in the workplace, especially at the leadership level, they throw at me, oh, well, look at Asia, they're all Asians there, or India, you go there, you know diversity, so why should we do it in terms of trying to push this dial? I said, well, why are we compared... Why, why, what's that our benchmark? Australia should be the benchmark for other world, for other countries to follow, because we have got one of the most culturally diverse um, society in the world, um, and I think inclusion and diversity should be our strength. And actually, we should learn from that, and we should tap into that diverse talent that we've got and harness that. And goes to you know um, consumers, the products that we make, the consumers, the clients that you want, the audience that you want. Uh, they're diverse, so I think it just makes sense. Um, and that's what the business world they see that because that's the reality. And so they're leading the way in ensuring, in particular, at the, again, I focus on the leadership level, ensuring that there is a leadership a pipeline that is quite inclusive and diverse, that is people with disability, indigenous, women, culture, gender, um, it's a priority for them and how to make it as, you know, um, a package, a strategy in their workplace to ensure that in, you know, some of them wants to change it within a couple of years, which is going to be a challenge, the others are more realistic to see how they're going to set their strategy in place that to achieve an outcome for um, their business and organisations. Yeah, and I guess one of the stats that came out a bit earlier um, today was that um, if you look at um, household income from or ethnic household income, I think it was 95 billion a year. I mean, that, that's a significant amount of money. Um, I just wanted to touch also, we've talked a lot about the reasons why and we've also talked about whether it matters, but what can be done to sort of create a more diverse environment in the media and advertising? I'll start with you, Tara. What, what, what practical ideas do you think would really help push the boundaries a bit in this space? Um, I think uh, hiring in creative departments is really important. You know, that's, um, that's where it all starts. So hiring people from different backgrounds and encouraging them to, you know, bring themselves to work and put themselves in their ideas and their thinking, you know. Um, I think every, you know, everything you do creatively, you put some of yourself in and your background and your experiences. And, you know, if we're all from the same kind of backgrounds, then 
it's not going to be very different, is it? You know, and I think another thing is that the creative product, we're always looking to be different and to stand out. So it makes economic sense, it makes mm -hmm. commercial sense to do that as well. So um, I think ensuring that creative departments have all sorts of different people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from different countries, from different, you know, all, all sorts, um, that, that's okay. a really good start. What about you, John? What, what, what do you reckon is the... I, I think the hiring thing is absolutely crucial, but I think once we have the people in the agencies, in the ecosystem, we have to work hard to keep them. There is a big problem that's been discussed in, in the agency, in the industry press recently, about the, the white boys club. You know, the, the, the sort of middle-aged industry execs getting together and drinking whiskey and sort of making power plans for the future. That kind of thing is, is really hard to break down because media in particular is an industry that sort of is built around lunches and golfing and that sort of thing. But we really have to be <coughs> considerate about how we break those down for people who, you know, don't drink, who, you know, aren't interested in getting out on the golf course for nine holes to talk about strategy and that sort of <laughs> thing. So I think it's, it's looking at our fundamental practices and the way we approach sort of dealing with each other that really has to change. It's an interesting point you raise. I, I was recently having a discussion with a friend of mine who's a, a, a creative at, at one of the um, agencies, I'm not going to name it, but she was basically saying that if you come from a different cultural background in, in, in agency world, you'll get pushed towards certain sections. Like if you're from an Indian background, you might get pushed into digital, for example. Uh, do you sort of see that a little bit, Tara, that uh, prevailing sort of stereotyping within agencies? Uh, I'm very conscious of it and I try and avoid it, yeah. I mean... I think also you have to ask, ask the individual what they want to do, you know, what do they want to work on, what are they interested in, what are they passionate about, you know, and um, nurture people as individuals, whoever they are, you know, so I would apply the same principles to everyone in the, in the department. Okay, what about in, in TV land, Adrian? Um, look, I agree with Tara, I think the long term solution is, is the way you hire and hiring people who Exactly as you say, as a creative, you, you put yourself into the, into the, the task at hand. Um, but that's a long-term solution. It, it's slowly being addressed in television, and I, th I, I think it is. I certainly saw it very proactively at the ABC, and, and less proactively at Nine, but it is a function of our hiring policy. But that's going to take a couple of years to manifest. As Di said earlier, I think the interesting thing is that what we're getting now from our casting agents is a much more diverse cast. Mm -hmm. And encouraging casting agents to give us a more diverse cast makes our choices much easier. Mm. You know, and as I said earlier, our, our ultimate criteria is are they part of a great cast? But the very fact that we're getting a much more diverse group of faces put in front of us mm. is, is the first step on the road to the solution. Mm. Can, I, can I just pose to you, Adrian, one of the questions before um, in one of the previous sessions was around government intervention and in terms of broadening out the local content requirements that, that it sort of um, encourages um, more culturally diverse um, mixes. Is, is that something that you would encourage or do you think that would be quite prohibitive and restrictive in what you guys do? I would say no government intervention. My God, if government touches anything, especially creative arts, it's going to be completely... Um, I, I'm sorry, I know it's to you, Adrian, but, uh, <laughs> but I just I, think... I can only agree. <laughs> I just think that it's... I think um, the market can, can um, <clears throat> you know, make that decision and I think the demands will actually, um, you know, and, and what the, the people want to see or what they're going to purchase will influence the way that the market will have to pr provide and, and deliver their service and products. So, um, yeah, I, I, I would be reluctant to... What, 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 what did I say? Short <laughs> um, and sweet. But, look, look, yes, I agree. I, I don't think we, agree. we, we feel that, that, that government intervention is what's needed. The only political point I would make is that 
yeah, we do have uh, fair, well, very strict content rules around what we broadcast, when we broadcast it, how we broadcast it. The only thing I would ask is if, if A, the hand of legislation is a very, very dead hand in the creative arts. Mm. As you said, Di, it's, it's get, them trying to get quotas right to make it work never works. Mm. I think the commercial imperative will take us there of, uh, in and of itself. Mm. Uh, but more importantly, if they're going to do it, can they also do it to Facebook and Google? Because mm -hmm. that's who we're competing with. There's mm. no point in trying to tie one of our hands behind our backs, metaphorically, while letting the people who are actually taking all our revenue do whatever they like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just very quickly, Di, I just want to ask you a quick question about some of the lessons that you've seen from some other corporate sectors. And, and after that, we'll go to questions from the floor. So with, with what you do, what, what are some of the things that you've seen that work really effectively in some of the more progressive um, sectors when it comes to cultural diversity? Well, can I say that the majority of the corporate that I have, have had conversation and interact with in the last um, few years, they are, they're struggling in terms of how to make their diversity and inclusive um, strategy work. Um, because it's still a pretty new piece. However, what they have done is they have, um, there are some organisations such as PwC, uh, I think Westpac is moving, to, and CBA is moving to target, setting a target, which is pretty good, okay, you can set a target. Um, and, um, and others are just starting out in their journey. I, Microsoft, for instance, I believe um, the MD is looking at um, potentially in terms of their hiring, how to not hire the way that they normally hire, which is that you don't need a degree, they don't, you don't have to have this skill, that skill, but you, they, they're, lo they're lo looking at that. I don't know how they're going to implement that, but you know, we're going to have a conversation around that. But this, they're changing their hi hiring um, uh, model. So that, that'll be interesting because that's quite pretty out there, I reckon. Okay. Um, so, yeah. so it sounds like hiring plays a key role. Okay, let's take some questions from the floor. Have we got anybody with a question? Yep. Uh, uh, my name is Amar Singh. Uh, I'm a member of the Sikh community Indians, so I'm probably the only one here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, look, I want to discuss a few things. Um, I've recently started a charity and started venturing out into the wider society and felt that when you come to the media, you sort of hit many roadblocks. And part of that is, even when you contact journalists, it's like, oh, we'll try if you can send someone out there, even if it's a good multicultural story, because it doesn't really cut the, you know, the cheese for them. Um, so we've actually started our own social media platform. The biggest page that I run uh, has close to 65,000 likes, and at any given time, the reach on that can be up to a million people. I mean, I don't know where these million people are, but it's there, and you can see the stats. And if you promote a post on there with uh, the dollar value, you can actually get a graph back to say where the uh, people are. So we've tried to go to that. And the other thing is we actually get from SBS, Punjabi and Hindi and other medias actually asking us to share their stories because they want to tap into our market. So there's a lot of that in social media which is there. The other thing I want to do, Ray's actually wrote in a couple of points before, uh, why is any media keen to show migrants in bad light? Not because they're dark. But it just, I think, sells a story because a lot you see in social media is when they post a story about an Indian truckie or a migrant doing the bad thing, the comments on below on that are just extremely racist and sometimes even threats directed towards the person. And so, obviously so, so, people so, inbox me from that, right? Um, there's a question for Adrian. You're from Channel 9, right? I remember um, Carl had a um, go at uh, the, during the cricket session about the 7-Eleven, like who's the man in the 7-Elevens, right? Um, after that, I contacted his producer. I said, look, if you don't really know who Indians are, who Sikhs are, you should maybe come out to our community. I'm happy to invite you to one of the temples. 
and they were the last I heard back from them. So even when you, we try to reach out, they don't want to know us, and yet we are still Australians. I've been in Australia for 19 years. I wouldn't be anything else but Australian, and it, yet it's hard to go out there and say, oh, I'm proudly Australian, because no one else is accepting that. Okay, so, so what, 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 what question would you like to ask, um, specifically? Yeah, the question would be, um, why the media like um, so short on co covering positive stories, and yet it lacks very research. When they do, it's culturally insensitive, like the recent lamb ad and other things. So why is it like, like that? Is it just to tick a box in to say we've ticked on multiculturalism and yet the research is not there? Thank you. Okay, so why, why is there a negative... A too complex question to answer in this forum. Look, there is no agenda. I mean, we don't get... We're, we're, genuinely, there's no agenda. And I, I'm speaking on behalf of the department I don't, I don't run or have a purview over, which is the news department. We don't go, go out to make any particular group look bad. Frankly, if you looked at a current affair last night, it was, it was completely white faces that we managed to make look bad last night. But that, was, that was not an agenda. That was just as, as, as the cookie crumbled. It's, we, we don't go out there to make anyone look bad. And to your point, why do, why do we do bad stories, not good stories? Well, sadly, the very nature of news is that the, the stories that tend to dominate the agenda are bad stories in, in their own right. So, look, just be assured, and I don't know about the Carl story, I can't comment because I don't, I don't know the details, but there is no... There is no commercial channel, certainly on behalf of Channel 9, there's no commercial channel agenda to make anyone look bad. Can, can I, 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 I'll answer that from a journalist, a, a previous life as a journalist uh, at the ABC. Uh, I think we're a very good group of journalists at the ABC, I have to say. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, over commercial, I, this is again my interpretation only, but uh, to, to Adrian's point, news is often bad. I mean, I, I avoid watching news at the moment because it's just constantly it's bad story after another. Somehow it's trying to trigger part of our brain and we like that. Uh, so I think, and then on top of that, over the commercial I, I find when I was working at the ABC is that, yes, if there's a, a, a story on drugs, a story on crime, and the group in the community in that particular area that has got the highest percentage, say, say where Cabramatta, where I, I grew up, uh, at the time when I was a reporter at the ABC, um, there was a you know, big issue around um, you know, street gangs, street kids. So they were automatically zooming on the Vietnamese, um, uh, Asian street gangs there. It's just something that the media does some, for some reason automatically. Uh, over at the ABC, what we try to do when I was working there is that we actually try to be more uh, inclusive. So we get different voices and we get different perspectives rather than just that, that one focus on, oh, that's the street gang, that's you know, the problem, blah, blah, and just just did a negative story about it. I'd just like to add as well that it really depends which um, media sources you're going to. Um, I would, if I were you, I'd not read the Daily Telegraph. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Any... Sure. I actually reached out to Oh. as well, and he gives us our regular events that we do with charities or multicultural, the general plug on his shows, and Ben Fordham as well. And I was actually, some of the people in our community were like, oh, you're not Ray Hadley. He's typical redneck, right? Sorry to say that. But they were astonished at the way he's presented our community over time. So oh, wow. I feel as, a, as an ethnic community that we have to reach out as well because a lot of times people want to know us, but they don't know where to go. They can't just really knock on someone's door, look, would you like to talk about this? And you know, so there's, there's from our side as well. But yeah, let's see how it goes. Well, there you go. That's a positive thing about Ray. Um, have we got yeah. any more questions? Yeah. <laughs> any more questions? One over here. Hello. Uh, hi, my name is Kai Chow. I'm from Media Diversity Australia. Hello. Yes, I also work for the ABC. I also work for Night. Hey, Adrian, we met at the Sydney Grammar Career Advisor. <laughs> I remember you well, Kai. How are you? <laughs> Long story. Anyway, 
Um, so I'm, I'm very interested to know, so one of the things that we did when we started Media Diversity Australia last year was that we wanted to be about changing the whole industry. We didn't want to be known as just yet another ABC, SBS, Lefty, Enclave, no offence, of course, to, the, to, to, to SBS or all of employer for that matter. Let's just make that really clear. Um, but um, I'm very interested to know from people who work in the ad industry, because it's not an industry I'm that familiar with, but also those at the commercial networks. So, and obviously Tara and Adrian, very interested to know how much, how do I put this, concern or fear is there about the diversity movement coming into your organisations or industries. So, so not the, you know, coloured people themselves, but um, the actual idea of, you know, oh, no, we're going to be facing quotas, we're going to be facing political correctness and stuff that is just not commercial and it's just something we'd rather turn over, you know, just try to put off as, as much as possible. Is, is there a strong sense of that in your industry or organisations? Um, not for me. I think, you know, it actually is commercial. You know, it is. It does make commercial sense to, you know, be diverse and reflect that. Um, so I don't think that there is, um, you know, an inherent fear, um, not that I've seen. Um, you know, I think it's good to be shining a light on it and um, I think, you know, it's, it's something that we want to focus on um, and so do our clients. And I think, you know, I, it's part of being um, modern and, you know, reflecting society, so I don't think there's any sense of fear. Adrian? Absolutely no sense of fear, Kai. I, actually, can I just reflect back on my time at the ABC? I think there was a much bigger problem at the ABC simply because you were answering so many masters. There were so many groups pulling and pushing you to represent them in your shows. That I remember when I first started at the ABC and they always said the first pillar of the... God, how many pillars were there? There were lots of pillars at the ABC. <laughs> but the first pillar was always the audience. And I always found after... And I was only at the ABC for 18 months, a really, really enjoyable 18 months that I loved. But I always found that the audience ended up being the sixth or seventh pillar because all the people who were pulling and pushing the programming became the first, second, third and fourth pillars. So actually, I don't mean to speak on behalf of you, John, I think, I think the issue is less an issue for us. I think, you know, we're interested. Our, our doors are open. We'd like to engage. As Tara said... The commercial imperative is strong. I worry more for the government broadcasters who tend to be mandated as opposed to allowed to make creative decisions on their own merits. I think for them, potentially, there is a fear. Okay. I think you actually raise a really good point there because I think, just personally, I mean, I think commercial organisations, personally, I think they really tend to get a bad rap on this stuff, right? I mean, if you look at a lot of government broadcasters, uh, some of their hiring sometimes verges on the token, they're often not able to retain a lot of uh, their ethnic staff. Uh, but when you look at some of the commercial organisations, I mean, I worked for Sky News and they had no problem. Like, I, I, I wasn't there for very long before they put me on it. Um, and then after me, there was an Indian reporter who succeeded me as a reporter. Um, so I, I think that the commercial industry tends to get a bit of a bad rap. And I do want to make clear anyone that comes from those networks and so forth, um, you know, that, you know, organisations like mine, like Media Diversity Australia, we are dead keen to work with commercial organisations and perhaps not in the way that you may um, have expected that we, that we would because we think a lot of people there are doing a great job. Can I... Um, there is fear. Uh, I went... I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago down at Melbourne and um, they were in, in the space of DNI or diversity and inclusion and um, there was a very senior male that um, was talking about 
where the organisation was going with their DNI strategy. And he was an Anglo white male in his 60s, I would say. But he, he didn't say it was fearful, but he was, said, he was saying basically, you know, the gender movement to get more women in leadership roles, you know, made many men in their, in, in their position fearful that they'll be replaced by women. So he said, so when we talk, and, and of course he said, well, you know, that's not the case. We need to talk about inclusion. Uh, but so if you're trying to now discuss and, and trying to get people to shift their thinking and make it, you know, talk about cultural diversity in leadership, that's another set of fear factor that will enter their, their, their mindset to say, my God, am I going to be replaced by a woman, ethnic, um, you know, because they have to. Um, so there is, a, a, there is fear in, in, in the corporate sector whereby the majority of, of the leadership team are still predominantly Anglo-Saxon men in their 60s. But my, my um, kind of argument is that we're not taking, it, taking your job right now. We just wanted to talk about how are you going to build your leadership pipeline in preparation for your organisation to grow in the future. Because the future of work, we're really talking about the future of work. So how are you preparing and positioning your organisation for that, the changes that's going to happen with technology, with AI, with globalisation? So definitely there is fear. Okay, I'm just going to have to um, interject. Um, we've actually run out of time. Ladies and gents, please thank our panel so much for today's discussion. <laughs> thank you, Di, Adrian, Tara and John. And I hope you enjoy the rest of today's um, conference. You've been listening to a special edition of the Ad News podcast from our Ad News Live Reframing Australia event. Check out our website for more content. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon.